0: We uh, we were hoping it wasn't the rapture that we've been left. Somebody goes, "Do we believe in that?" And, no, uh, we don't. We don't believe in that. Um, but anyway, uh, so it's nice to to get to come back before the coming of Josh Kincaid. Uh, we have heard rumors that uh, that he's going to move to. Um, to Texas and raise the average IQ of both states. Um, it's going to be, be good. We, um, we have certain sensitivities uh, about preacher transitions because I was a preacher's kid. And I remember what it was like uh, to have the kids uh, say, we're getting a new preacher. And I go, we are. And they go, you're not you're going with the old one, you're you're leaving. And I would get used to that, and I would go to the new church and be the new kid. Um, And then I was the preacher, who when I was in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, I was the world's worst youth minister. And after I'd been there about six months, they said, Eddie, you need to preach, You don't need to be the youth minister. Um, We have a preacher. You need to find a place to preach. And so, um, shortly thereafter, with a U-Haul pulling a a car, and my wife, and new baby, and dog in the floorboard, driving a manual uh, U-Haul trailer, we drove all night into Albuquerque, New Mexico, and started preaching at the University Church in Albuquerque. That was good. Uh, later, I was in Carlsbad, New Mexico, and uh, got invited to go to the University Church in Abilene. And uh, they had been looking for a preacher for a long time, and everybody they wanted didn't want to go. And finally, a fellow said, "Well, if we're down to this, I know a guy in New Mexico." And uh, so we were interviewing and I, I, I talked to them and I said, I know I'm not who you want, but who you want won't come. If, if I come, will you act like you want me? And they said, yes. And they acted like they wanted me for 28 years. Finally, they just couldn't do that anymore. Yes. But one of the things I asked, I said, would you give me uh, the list of the five people that will give me the most trouble and Carl Burkine who was one of the elders then uh, in his pastoral delightful style said no because if you don't come you don't need to know and if you come you'll know you'll know and so probably the elders No, the five people that they could have told Josh are going to be the most trouble. But they probably didn't tell him. So why don't you five try to keep it a secret a little while longer? (laughs) And if you don't think you're one of the five, for a couple of years, just assume that you are. Okay? Just a couple of times. Anyway, we want to keep... uh, them in prayer, because a transition is a big deal. I heard already this morning that the youth group is ready to adopt their kids. And so that's, that's a good start. But it is an awesome responsibility to come and preach um, in this church. I've known the last four preachers that have been preachers of this church. I knew Randy Mayu, I knew Lynn Anderson, I know Scott Sager, I know Wade. And so, all four of those have gone down in history. Good to go down in history without going down in flames, as you know. And so now we have this Josh Kincaid and his family. And we we want to ask the Lord to bless them as they come. I'm going to preach a little bit, but I I want to do this little preliminary thing just to say, well, there's a text that I I, read. Stumbled across the other day, and it's at the end of 1 Corinthians. I want to preach in the first part of 1 Corinthians, but here at the end of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is talking uh, to the brethren, and he says, uh, I'm going to stay in Pentecost until, uh, in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door of effective work is open for me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, comes to Corinth, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. Now, isn't that something to say to a church, uh, Timothy's coming, uh, why don't you make sure he has nothing that he needs to be afraid of while he's with you? And that would be nothing to be afraid of from the outside, and nothing to be afraid of from the inside. Well, maybe they can't control the outside. Maybe they can't control the, the rowdy folks that show up in Corinth, but But maybe they should at least control the inside. Maybe the the request there is, please make it so that Timothy does not suffer the indignities of friendly fire. Most of the cruelest wounds that, that come to preachers are not coming from outside the congregation. Most of them are coming from the inside. And so I want want you to hear what Paul is telling the people in Corinth at the end of the letter. When Timothy comes, why don't you see if you can just make it as good for him as you can. And I say that as a guy that's been preaching a long time. Not only that, a lot of years, a long time. And that I've I've been in retreats with over 400 ministers and their spouses over a 15 year period in the Minister Support Network with Charlie Seibert and the Rays and and Paul Faulkner and his Gladys. I've been with lots of preachers. I've been in lots of churches. Do no harm. As best you can, do no harm. Okay, that's the preaching before the preaching. Somebody says, wasn't that enough? I mean, really, come on. But there's some more to be said. Um, The beginning, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know Him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And then the beginning of chapter 2. When I came to you, Brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Power, wisdom, the crucified Christ. Well, well there is there is power in the world, isn't there? There is power. And there is wisdom. The the Jews had their faith anchored in the mighty works of God. The mighty work of God in creation. The mighty work of God in the flood. The mighty work of God in the call of Abraham. The mighty work of God in in the plagues and the deliverance through the Red Sea, the mighty work of God in delivering the law, the mighty work of God in bringing them into the promised land. The, The people of Israel had been formed by the very power of God working in history. You read things like Psalm 145, the rehearsal of the mighty acts of God. And so there's a reason why the Jews would have embedded in them some desire to have anything authoritative be based on some act of power. And, and, and there is wisdom. There is wisdom. Proverbs chapter 8 says that, that in the beginning God laid down wisdom in the foundation of the world sometimes people come and they say well you know Eddie in, in, in the uh, Buddha Hinduist fusionism, out there in the world there are things that are very much like the moral teachings in Judeo- the Judeo-Christian movement how do you explain that? you go well that's that's not even a hard one The Lord, as He made the world, laid down wisdom. And anybody in any part of the world who reflects on the way the world is made and the way not only the physics of the world, but the social physics of the world works, may come down with some common ideas about what is a wise way to live. That some days it's the early bird gets the worm, and some days it's the second mouse gets the cheese. Some days you have to pick out what is wise that's embedded in the world. It's not uncommon. But so the, so the Greeks, the philosophers, they reflected on the way the world was. And they loved wisdom. Wisdom. And so the people in Athens, in the Areopagus, they met from time to time, to talk about some new thing that some Stoic or Epicurean or just confused person might have come up with. That's the reason they were willing to listen to Paul out of some attempt to find out more wisdom. And then they didn't think that someone crucified and raised, they didn't think that sounded very wise. There is wisdom. And the fact is that in the life of the body of the church, we're probably expected to be wise and to exercise certain kinds of power. This morning in our Bible class, Annette and I were teaching over at uh, Highland Oaks. We were ending our study of Ephesians in chapter uh, 6. Verse 10, finally, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Oh, well, you have that. You have that. And there is wisdom. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Paul will write in Colossians. Be wise. James will say, if you need wisdom, pray for it. There is wisdom. But power and wisdom do not lie at the heart of the Christian faith. What lies at the heart of the Christian faith is something that neither power nor wisdom would have ever anticipated that God would come in the flesh. That the Son would be incarnated, carne, incarnate, incarnate, carne, chili, con carne, chili with meat. That God would come in the meat and would live among us. And instead of living in some triumphantly, marvelous way he would, at the very moment of his greatest triumphant entry into the holy city would make a left turn into the very judgment of the people he came to save. The one who rode triumphantly on the donkey finds himself bearing the load of the cross down the street. Stumbling under its weight. And finally his weight, borne up on that cross. And the one who was present at the creation of the world that he created by virtue of his eternal life now initiates new creation not with a let there be, but with there it is finished. And Joseph and Nicodemus. take down the almost bloodless body of Jesus and trundle it off and put it in a new tomb. And he is graveyard dead. John knows he died. He didn't pass out later to revive. He watched the Roman soldier lance his side he was already dead, blood and water separated. Maybe that Roman soldier who watched the centurion, the, the presider over the dying, maybe he said this was a son of God. Maybe in a moment of clarity said, certainly this was the son of God. But it was an odd place to find out, wasn't it? In the cross, an odd place for confession. Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all to myself. That's somehow implicit in the working of God and the good news of a salvation that is going to be by grace, by faith. The prince of heaven dies in the meat. And that becomes the core message that offers hope for the world. Is that the message that we want the Preston Road Church of Christ to bear in this place? I, I reflected on the fact that uh, Preston Road is a university church. Now, I, I preach for the university church in Albuquerque. I preach for the university church in Abilene. I preach for the University Avenue Church in Austin. I've only preached at university churches for 40 years. Did he add that up right? Yes. I had a minor in physics. I can count to 40. After 40 years, you'd expect to get out of the wilderness, wouldn't you? What I know about university churches. is You've got smart people and you got positioned people you got some poor people you got some rich people university churches attract all that now i just want to say frankly all the university churches i've worked for have had two or three really weird people and and sometimes it was the same one sometimes people took turns There was always a temptation that you could feel that at some point the elected officials in the church would have a certain avenue toward power. Some point the rich people in the church would have a certain avenue toward power. The educated people would have a certain power i mean i got to where i would not mention any writer or any fact other than what was in the bible because it just distracted my professors they would come up and they go you know that illustration you used from herman meville in the moby dick and the guy with the harpoon i just wonder if you ever thought and i go did you miss the point On the way to wondering about my footnotes. So, what I want to tell you is something that I know, and it's not meant to hurt your feelings. Okay? A university church is like having a car with a very big engine, lots of horsepower. And one of the great challenges is to get all of that power channeled in the way of the cross. I was going to do a little thing about Dostoevsky and the Grand Inquisitor and, and the Grand Inquisitor talking to Jesus uh, in the Middle Ages when Jesus came back to check on things, and and how the Grand Inquisitor said, you know, you got it all wrong when you said no to turning uh, rocks to bread, and you got it all wrong when you didn't jump off the temple, and you got it all wrong when you didn't bow down to get power. You should have fed them, you should have jumped, you should have bowed down. And so now, uh, in the medieval church, we've decided to change things and do it the way you didn't do it we've decided that you did it wrong. I was going to talk about that, but I'm not going to. Because <laughs> that's not what we want to do. We don't want to try to be the church in some way that's not attached to the cross. We, we don't want to be the church in a way that guarantees our safety while we sacrifice our sanctity. We want to be holy and holy gods. We want to give ourselves up for the sake of Jesus. We want to hear Jesus say, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. From Mark ten forty-five. He says that to disciples who were arguing about who got to be first or second, right or left in the kingdom. We don't want to be wise, wiser than the cross. We don't want to try to be stronger than the cross. But with the cross of Christ and the crucified Christ as our example of service and the risen Christ as our promise of a future, then we are able to use whatever power God gives us in the service of that cause. We are free to use that power freely. We are free if we will keep Our focus on the cross and Christ on the cross and Christ at the right hand of God and the Spirit of God poured out on the world, if we'll keep that focus as our central defining identity, then we are free to use all of the wisdom in the world that serves that. But FTF, first things first. And may the life of the Preston Road Church of Christ be a life that is defined by the cross in terms of service and defined by the resurrection in in terms of hope. And may your new preacher, Josh Kincaid, tell you this thing every time he talks to you. Every time. May you hear the story of Jesus. Let's stand and sing.